broadcasting around the entire world. From Austin, Texas. Via Simplecast. And supported by listeners like you. Bitcoin billions seller trading mining markets by sharing forks millions fights wise. Keeping you up to date on everything crypto. Welcome to Thriller News. Now here is your host, Carl Gonzalez. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world. How you doing? Today is uh, July 8th, 2019. Welcome back to another season three. That's right. Tres. <laughs> uh, thriller News. Glad to have you back. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Let's get on to it. Crypto top story starting now. Crypto top stories. Well, it happened. It happened and it's starting. Um, Bitcoin is disrupting banking. So much so that Deutsche Bank just cut 18,000 jobs. That's right. It was announced today and everybody was in a frenzy. Everybody's scared. Everybody's running around and wondering what's going on. Check it out. Deutsche is a big story today in the pre-market. The German uh, bank says it has begun a restructuring plan that includes cutting up to 18,000 jobs worldwide by 2022. Moves include closing down the global equity trading business. Uh, CEO Christian Zaving says, quote, this is a restart for Deutsche for the long-term benefit of our clients, employees, investors, and society. In refocusing the bank around our clients, we're returning to our roots and, what, and to what once made us one of the leading banks of the world. You know, throughout history, the banking industry has always been vulnerable to a range of risk, you know, but somehow has always managed to survive. You know, that is just until it met Bitcoin. Seriously, you know, from a geopolitical uncertainty and most significantly the advent of new technologies like cryptocurrency, including artificial intelligence. It's it's not it's not a surprise that Deutsche Bank is now undergoing these efforts to radically transform their business model. I mean, they actually had their CEO on there almost two years ago to the date saying that he saw no point in investing in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. His name was Jim Reed. Check it out. What is a Bitcoin? <laughs> well, I, I have some problems figuring out. Is it a payment system where you anonymously can do something with others and it's all open for everyone, what the record of what was transactions earlier? Or is it really an asset class? Meaning, if I invest in an asset in a stock, I know what the cash flow is of the company. I have a way of evaluating what is the net present value of that today. If I invest in a bond, I have the same thing. I can try to figure out what is the value of the asset today. But from an asset class perspective, as it's the thing you invest in, it's really difficult to figure out what are fundamentals in Bitcoins because there really is no value. There's really no cash flow. There's no return that you could try to figure out what the net present value should be. So in my view, I think the challenge really is to figure out, is it a payment system, or meaning where you can do transactions and buy things in shops, or is it actually an asset class you can invest but in? But if it's a payment system, there are more efficient payment systems. I mean, for example, people who advocate Ethereum, an alternative, say that it's actually much more flexible. Even Bitcoin Cash would split off. People who advocate that say it's much more efficient than Bitcoin. Absolutely. So uh, at the moment, uh, the average transaction, if I were to buy or sell a Bitcoin with you, 
It would take about 10 minutes to make it complete. Uh, so the bottom line is that's not very efficient if you go to a store and do something. So that's why there's now 200 other Bitcoins that offer other kinds of features and characteristics that are in different ways more or less attractive. Uh, but the bottom line is I still think for investors it's critical to keep in mind, is this an asset which you're investing in which has no fundamental value where you're investing in something that doesn't have a cash flow? Or is this a payment system which can do things that the payment system we have today is uh, more efficient than what we already have. Or is it an equity? And the reason why I say that is come inside the Bloomberg and I'm looking at the volatility of Bitcoin. So uh, the bottom panel here is the volatility over 10 days for Bitcoin. It's 131 percent uh, as of yesterday. And I should point out that other periods of volatility like the S&P only hit 102 percent. But that was back in October 2008. And Black Monday going back to 87. S&P volatility was 153. I mean, one argument for an equity desk at a big bank uh, dealing with Bitcoin is the vol. You don't see that kind of vol when it comes to commodities and FX. You should probably be careful putting your 401k into uh, that asset class alone. But uh, it's clear that it's very striking that this volatility is enormous relative to our discussions. We always have a vol is so low in equities, swaption vol is low in rates, FX vol is low, credit vol is low. So it's certainly an asset class that delivers uh, much more stomach churning than uh, you can get elsewhere. You know, it says more about his banking institution than anything else, right? So it seems like people would much rather be their own bank and have that volatility than much less give up their fiat currency to a bank to hold. Uh, that's what that looks like to me. Some people will call that too big to fail, right? They use that as an excuse. It's a systemic issue. But uh, it was all highlighted during the 2008 financial crisis. And it's just, a, to me, it, it, it shows the lack of um, research, uh, lack of... Uh, understanding, uh, lack of uh, seeking out uh, more information and just educating yourself. I don't understand why this guy didn't bother looking into Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't care, frankly, but to dismay it just like he just did. And then to see his bank cut at that 18,000 jobs a year later. Um, well, it's no surprise to me, right? I feel bad for the people that have a job for Deutsche Bank. That's horrible having to go in to the office today and, and get that uh, letter of, you know, sorry, you don't have a job here anymore. But people are starting to recognize this. Uh, Christine Lagarde of the IMF, we just talked about this last month. Uh, she told CNBC that cryptocurrencies and financial technology developments are clearly shaking the banking system. We literally just reported this last month. We literally just had a Thriller Coin talk on the end of central banks. It was our last Thriller Coin talk in May. We all know this is coming. This is not going to be a fairy tale ending, unfortunately. We're going to see more of this, and it's going to affect all of us, whether we like it or not. But we're in the situation now where we have to figure out a way around this, and cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, to me, seems like the obvious route. Yeah, maybe the financial markets were a, a little bit more disappointed that Bullard, uh, who spoke uh, a little bit before Powell, uh, wasn't in, wasn't gunning for a 50 basis point cut. He a, a lot wasn't of people, as dovish as you might expect from him. No, he is obviously the most dovish member, and therefore markets probably geared themselves up for him, kind of hinting that 50 basis points was likely. So that that probably of the two was the more interesting speech. And just to bring it back in the context of the U.S. dollar, then, and we were talking about obviously the impact that that has had on the euro. Euro is obviously trading. Uh, firmer versus the U.S. dollar, uh, but in in the interest of the upcoming cutting rate cycle that's about to come out of the Fed, is it fair play to say that on the back of that you could expect to see some dollar weakness? 
Is it as simple as that? Is it one for one? <clears throat> it is. It is tough because um, obviously the, the the U.S. has a, a twin deficit, mm. which all other things being equal, probably should be uh, a, a dollar weakness story. Um, but um, it is more complicated than that. Um, Europe is. is uh, Europe as a whole has got a current account surplus. Yeah. So uh, all other things being equal, the euro probably should be rising against uh, the, the, the dollar, but then you've got the interest rate differential being a, um, a, a, a different thing. So euro dollar has been stuck in a quite tight range for some time as these two forces fight each other out, and we're not convinced it's going to break soon. So we've talked about trade war, we've talked about feds, the other uh, important development that markets have been focused on over the last week, of course, are the geopolitical developments. So we've seen some of the risk premium being priced back into energy markets. Also gold is back up, trading at six-year highs. Uh, do you have a view on the precious metal here? Um, well, I, th I mean, I, th I think it was interesting to see Bitcoin um, up 180% since uh, April. Some of that is because of um, the, the Libra pro project, but I think it, a combination of Bitcoin and gold, there's, there's an element to it that right. if central banks are going to be disaggressive, then alternative currencies do start, start to become a little bit more attractive. Yeah. The secret's out. At this point, um, if you're not paying attention, uh, if you're not looking at where this market is going, I don't know what else to do. Uh, literally this past weekend, I, I went on Facebook and I never go on Facebook. And I made a post and I talked about how this is coming to a head and we're all going to be in the situation together. And I gave my best pitch to my family and friends and let them know to get some Bitcoin um, to start investing in Bitcoin. And uh, not a single reply, <laughs> a couple likes, not a single reply. You can tell people the sky is falling. They can other banks can even start re-engineering their whole processes, just like Deutsche Bank, and they can all start reducing their large workforces. But uh, it's hard to convince people that are already set in their ways that a financial or banking crisis is coming. Um, the good thing about all this is that Bitcoin is around and it's uh, it's thriving right now, and it's definitely able and it's currently able to handle this ensuing global economic slowdown, to say the least, and as, as much as these other cryptocurrencies, right? So we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out, but one thing's for sure, we're keeping you informed, we're keeping you up to date, and I'm doing my very best to uh, keep it all in front of you. All right, let's get into crypto rapid fire. Just in case you missed it. All right. So today in Crypto Rap Fire, we're talking Qcoin. That's right. Launches its own derivatives trading platform, Qmex, which promises up to 20x leverage. That's right. IDG-backed Qcoin has announced the beta launch of its derivatives trading platform, Qmex. To start, the new platform will offer trading of its so-called Bitcoin perpetual contract, and of course, this is uh, one of many, it seems like, that are starting to get into this derivatives market space. Uh, currently, Behemoth Bitmex and Hoboy, Hoboy Binance and Bifinex have recently launched or are announcing their impending launch of their own platforms to trade perpetual swaps in a synthetic way. Um, this is all good news. This should increase the price of Bitcoin. Bullish. 
Next up, we got Hyundai. Hyundai? Hyundai. That's right. Hyundai's token company partners with Casper Labs. All right. So it looks like HDAC Technology, a blockchain company backed by Hyundai, has entered into a strategic partnership with blockchain startup Casper Labs to jointly research and develop consensus mechanisms and seamless integration between the HDAC and Casper Labs blockchains. The company signed a memorandum of understanding on June 28th, a small initial step toward further cooperation. As you know, Vlad Zamfir is a part of Casper Labs as the chief Casper architect, and he's also an Ethereum researcher. But uh, he will hope to share the research and technical support with HDAC. This is a three-year collaboration, reportedly, which includes the organization of hackathons in the USA and Korea and jointly working with select customers and partners to help implement blockchain-based solutions to moving vehicles. Yeah, pretty interesting. Every, every It seems like almost every car manufacturer these days are kind of jumping into this blockchain game, which is interesting, right? Um, we'll be interesting to see if uh, Tesla jumps in this here pretty soon. That's what I'm looking at. Next up, we got high frequency trading is newest battleground in crypto exchange race. That's right. A handful of cryptocurrency exchanges are rolling out the red carpet for high frequency traders. Who boy. <laughs> keep saying who boy, but it's who based in Singapore and Arisex in Chicago have separately begun offering co-location in which a client server is placed in the same facility or cloud as the exchanges officials at each exchange told Coindesk. This allows those investors to execute trades up to 100 times faster, giving them an edge over the rest of the market. These exchanges join Gemini, which was one of the first crypto firms to offer co-location at a popular data center in New York area, and is about to expand the option to include a second site in Chicago. Notably, none of these exchanges charges for the service, seeing it as a way to differentiate themselves. And in our next piece of news, we have the SEC and FINRA they finally issue an explanation as to why it's taking so long for crypto custodian approval. So in a joint statement Monday, the SEC Division of Trading and Markets and FINRA's Office of General Counsel outlined the different factors that the agencies consider when determining whether to approve a broker-dealer application by a company which touches digital assets, including custody and whether the assets are treated as securities under Securities Investor Protection Act of 1970. Now, they said, the ability of a broker-dealer to comply with aspects of the CPR is greatly facilitated by established laws and practices regarding the loss or theft of a security that may not be available or effective in the case of certain digital assets. Broker-dealers in the U.S. are legally registered and regulated entities which are able to purchase or sell securities, both on their own behalf as well as for their clients. Some companies want to use digital assets as securities, allowing them to market to institutional investors who cannot hold or directly purchase these assets. While a broker can prove that it possesses their private keys to a crypto wallet, it would be too difficult to prove that no other entity does. So the statement goes on to say, it may not be available to demonstrate that no other party has a copy of the private key and could transfer the digital asset security without the broker-dealer's consent. The joint statement comes in response to questions from market participants. Companies applying for broker-dealer approvals have been sitting in limbo for months, with some firms waiting more than a year. Now, many of these firms claim that the SEC imposed a moratorium on broker-dealer approvals 
for firms which touch digital assets, while others say that the cryptocurrency based securities simply present novel issues that the regulatory agencies must first assess. Monday's joint statement, which is the statement you just heard, would appear to be confirmation of the latter theory. It's just going to take time for these regulated agencies to look through all this minutia. Now, private key issues aside, the SEC and FINRA has also discussed how digital assets might not fulfill SIPA requirement for digital securities. And this goes on to an entirely different thing. But I will say that the nature of distributed ledger technology, as well as the characteristics associated with digital asset securities, will always create this difficulty for broker-dealer and obviously evidence and existence of a digital asset security you know, for the purpose of broker-dealers, regulatory books, records, and other financial statements, including everything that was discussed here. It's just going to take time. And until there's a foolproof way to address record-keeping requirements and to store these records through these firms, it might it might literally just take people going out there and having to audit. But um, this is all something that's being reported on. It's good that the SEC is actually taking the approach of take, talking this out loud and letting everybody know where they stand, as opposed to just not saying anything and uh, having us look at them like they're incompetent. So it's good that they're talking. And in our next piece of news, we got Shapeshift's new platform has officially launched. That's right. The new platform wants to rival custodians like Coinbase, but this time they want to do it in a different way. This new platform allows users to buy, sell, trade, and track multiple cryptocurrencies in a single place with over 50 digital assets currently supported. Uh, and then you can also use your connected hardware wallet like Trezor or KeepKey. Sorry, no ledger. Nano, unfortunately. But uh, the company's approach does seek to eliminate the counterparty risk. And Eric Voorhees went out and said a statement. He said there needed to be a platform that had great UI that my grandparents could use with limited instruction, but that was built on the foundation of being non-custodial. So this uh, major launch is uh, a first for this five-year-old company. And I've actually got to play with it. It actually is pretty sweet. I haven't looked at it, haven't looked at it you know, since the initial beta. Um, so I probably will take a look at it at some point this week. Um, I have a keep key somewhere laying around. <laughs> but uh, I'll definitely check it out and let you guys know what I think about it. But uh, good on Eric for creating something like this. Definitely need more exchanges willing to do this. All right. And our last piece of news is Bitcoin trading is illegal in Iran, according to Central Bank Deputy Governor. So the deputy governor for new technologies, Mr. Nasir Hakimi, said on Monday that the Supreme Council on Countering Money Laundering had banned Bitcoin trading. He warned Iranian cryptocurrency users of legal risk of investing in non-sovereign assets, which could land them in prison for two to five years, plus fines under the suspicion of money laundering. The deputy governor's statements appeared months after an intergovernmental task force warned Iran to complete its financial reforms in line with Global norms by June this year. The FATF in February 2019 threatened the Islamic Republic with consequences if it fails to comply with including the extent of boycott of Bitcoin in the country. And we know Iran's economy is currently uh, sanctioned by the U.S. that completely prohibits foreign companies from doing business in the country. But transactions in Bitcoin, which are kind of anonymous, pseudo-anonymous by nature, um, has helped people moving money abroad as well as receiving payments without going through a traditional route of banking, which would be cash. But um, yeah, it's it's 
it's nuts. It's crazy how the world moves. And um, there was even another headline that they're looking to Iran as to ban Bitcoin mining as well, too. So um, not looking good if you're in Iran right now. All right. I think that's all we got for Crypto Rapid Fire. Let's go ahead and jump into Crypto YouTube. That's right. Let's do it. Crypto YouTube, the world of Crypto YouTube, the world of Crypto YouTube, the world of Crypto YouTube. You know, one of my favorite things to do on YouTube is, uh, especially these days, is just like look up random like speakings of finance guys talking about the world, the economy, and where it's headed. Um, it's really been kind of this like, you know, when you have like a scab on your on your arm and you're like trying to peel it off, but it's too soon, but you don't want to, so you leave it there, you don't mess with it, but then you kind of want to peel off the edges. It's kind of like that <laughs> in a gross, weird way where I'm, I'm watching this stuff and it feels like, gosh, I, I, I want to know more, but then I don't want to know more, but then I'm like, ah, it's really fascinating. Well, this is one of those videos. Uh, it, it basically talks about how the banking industry had a giant foothold on all of us in the 1960s and early 90s and, and completely lost all of it to fintech and other cryptocurrencies and, and startups. Uh, check it out. Uh, look a little bit on the facts why the old world of banking is fundamentally broken from our view. So what has happened over the last year that we say there's something wrong with banking. We need to change it. We need to make it in a new fashion. First of all, what we have seen, banks have declared ethical bankruptcy. And if you open your paper every day, you see that, that banks are in real trouble there. Um, a quote from one of our nice friends from Goldman Sachs. So he's the CEO of Goldman Sachs, uh, Lloyd Blankfein. And there you see the arrogance that is uh, coming into play in that kind of sector. So short after the outbreak of the financial crisis, he was asked, so what's the role of banking and um, classic investment banks in the financial world? And he's saying, I'm doing God's work. So we were just seeing a situation where the financial crisis had led to a value destruction that was equal to 50% of the overall GDP. 50% of world GDP was destroyed in an instant in the last financial crisis. In words, that's $29 trillion. That was wiped out almost in one year. And that guy is standing there and saying, okay, I'm doing God's work. So I'm the one who's really taking control of what is happening and I'm leading a, a situation that is good for everyone. On top of that, um, and that is really what you see in the paper just recently um, when, you, when you open them, it's banks are very heavy on fines. They pay fines like every minute there's a lawsuit, every minute you, you look around. And what you see here is an, is an overview of fines paid by banks from 2014 and 2010. And it's an overall amount of 205 billion euros that banks have to pay in fines. Just imagine how many startups, how many universities you can build simply on the fines banks paid for misconduct, for misbehavior in breaking global rules that are there to stabilize the system. And on top of that, unfortunately, they are not only in ethical bankruptcy, they have a business model, and probably that's why they often refrain to measures like that. They have a business model that is really outdated. 
it's a business model from, from the latest century. And the problem with it is banks were earning a lot of money in older times. They were really the ones who were getting big profits. What you see there is just a short overview on return on equity. So what does the money they put in as a bank, their own money, what does it give you as a return? And probably some of you remember the infamous Josef Ackermann who was like trying to get 20% return on equity for the Deutsche Bank. So that was probably a little bit um, high on the estimates because on average banks earned 7% in the 70s to the 90s, then down to 5%. But now the system is so complex and um, so drained by competition that they don't earn money for their shareholders anymore. So big problem on the business side. On top of that, and that's coming back now to um, the branch network I was mentioning earlier, they are really stuck in an efficiency trap. So when you look at banks, they spend a hell of a lot of money on getting consultants in who help them to become more efficient, to cut costs, to be really the one who is improving the business model by slashing costs. So the classic work that business consultants quite often do. But you can see here from that graph, it's not successful. So they're trying to cut costs, but on the other hand, they don't gain an efficiency. So what you see here is the cost to income ratio with what you measure the, the um, efficiency of a bank. So what relation does your cost have in relation to your income? And there you see it's more or less constant, slightly fluctuating around 70% since more than 40 years. So despite all the programs and all the focus the banks are putting in there, no gains in efficiency. Even worse, banks don't innovate. There is no innovation coming from the banking sector. The only innovation we were seeing the last time in the 90s was derivatives on the 2000s and we all know where derivative led us to, straight to the financial crisis because we were building like mortgage structures in the US that destroyed the financial system. But let's think back to the real innovations they made in the last century. And probably some of you remember those guys, probably not the ones on the left, but the guy on the right. So 60s and 90s, what was happening there? In the 60s, the ATM was invented by banks. So really good innovation. We some how found a place where you could take out cash money without being restricted to the opening hours of branches. In the 90s then, the next step, online banking was invented. I think two really great inventions that I use all of the time. It took banks 30 years to do that step from inventing an ATM to going to online banking. Now 2015, the world is still waiting for the next innovation. Nothing we see that is coming out of the banking system at that point in time. So if they really want to survive and be as dominant as they have been over the last century, and banks really have been the dominating players during industrial ages. The industrial ages, other than the second machine age, so the first machine age, was really determined by banks. Banks were the driving forces in making traditional capitalism grow. Without banks, the kind of capitalism we are, we are looking at now, the global kind of capitalism, would not have been possible. But that is over now. And banks need to adapt, they need to change if they want to be as dominant or at least survive over the, next, um, over the next century. At the moment, it's not looking good because people like you, people like me, they don't trust, we don't trust banks anymore. And you see that here on latest figures from Net Promoter Score. 
Net Promoter Score simply asks one simple question. Would you recommend the bank you're working with to your friend or family? And it's from minus 100 to 100. The people who promote you, if all the people would promote you, you would be at 100. If people say, no, no, I don't want to recommend, you would be at minus 100, and then you would be bad. And what you see here is a comparison to already give you an overview or an outlook on the fintech industry. You see banks in Germany versus the two biggest fintech players in giving out loans, doing crowd lending or crowdfunding, what we will cover later. And you see banks in Germany 10% net promoter score. The new players that now arise, they really put the people back into the focus with the result that people trust them. You know, it's, it's kind of weird how like th these banks are 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 going to go away, right? It's going to happen with time. It won't happen overnight, but it's slowly going to start trickling out. And the easy fix for this, like I know I see it, I'm sure a lot of y'all see it, is just to accept Bitcoin. <laughs> like that's all you literally have to do is to get a lot of people back in your favor. Like just it, that's it. Accept deposits, accept withdrawals, start doing withdrawals, become like what Square's doing, but for Bitcoin. Like do that. And you'll start seeing a flock of people Go over there. They won't do that. They can't do that. And it's not in their nature to do that. So away they must go, unfortunately. It's kind of sad. Um, knowing where the, the road to adoption and re-inclusion of your services, but not willing to take that uh, first step because of uh, being stuck in your old ways. All right. With that, let's get into crypto Twitter. That's right. Let's do it. Crypto Twitter. Crypto Twitter. All right, and then today, of course, everybody's uh, talking about banks and, and Bitcoin, and of course, we got Farouk Ahmad. He says scientists can't figure out how to make bitcoins. Long Bitcoin, short the banks. Uh, we also have uh, Brian Akara. He says, why do banks hate crypto like Bitcoin? It will crush their criminal fractional reserve system that gives them power to create counterfeit credit out of your deposits. Don't fall for their counterfeit crypto. Gosh, uh, we also have, um, who else here? Looks like we have uh, JTV says the current corrupt system is made for banks. When people realize crypto offers banking and payment systems for them, they will convert exponentially. Banks are going to get their butts handed to them over the next decade. They will either convert or go bankrupt. Gosh, it, it really does seem like that's going to be what's going to happen. And then, of course, there's lots of pictures of people walking out um, with bags and boxes from Deutsche Bank here in New York. Uh, it's it's kind of sad to see that, to be honest with you. Uh, we got Rahim. He says, China's central bank is developing its own cryptocurrency. The companies, banks, governments who talk the worst about Bitcoin and crypto are the ones trying to compete with it. That has been exactly true. Seeing that happen over the past three years is this is exactly true. Um, the ones competing with it are the ones against it. Uh, this guy named Satoshi Creator he says, "Why are you against? Why you are against on banks? Without bank, neither you can buy bitcoins nor can you sell bitcoin or crypto to withdraw the money. Only with BTC, the world will not survive. Seventy-five percent doesn't know how to do that." Uh, and that's where it requires the learning. And to be honest with you, a lot of people don't withdraw back into fiat. <laughs> a lot of us keep it in Bitcoin and spend with Bitcoin. So, got to learn a little bit more, Satoshi Creator. Okay, with that, let's get into Coin360. 
Uh, looks like we got Bitcoin at $12,644, up 11% on the day. It has a Bitcoin dominance of 63%, total market cap of $352 billion. Jesus. We got Ethereum at $316, up 4%. We got XRP at $0.40, cents, staying flat at 2%, uptake. We got Litecoin at $123, up 3%, and Bitcoin Cash at $425, four percent if we look at our 24-hour change on the green we got quaint up 26 percent at 14 dollars and 51 cents we got agricia at six cents up 13 percent we got thorcoin at thousand nine hundred sixty eight dollars up 10 percent we got bitcoin whoa baby baby boy bitcoin up 11 percent on the 24-hour change nice uh, if we look at our 24-hour change on the red we got walton chain gosh two two dollars and 27 cents down 15 percent you should have dumped that out of that a long time ago if you have it. We got Komodo at $1.49, uh, down 12%. We got Icon at $0.34, cents, uh, down 9%. We got Ravencoin at $0.04, cents, uh, down 7%. We got Waves at $1.87, at 7%. So whenever I see some of these coins go down, uh, it usually tells me the people that are holding the bags on these are selling and going into Bitcoin. Uh, that's what it tells me. Um, it, it happens every single time. Okay, with that, let's get on to the end of the show.
ladies and gentlemen of Thriller News is Dunsey. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at where the space has gone here in the past, you know, even since April Bulls run, uh, it's, it's pretty apparent to a lot of us here that uh, Bitcoin is going to continue to be hedged by a lot of these big institutional investors and a lot of uh, people in retail that just know exactly what's going on and staying ahead of their investments. Don't miss that opportunity to educate your family and your friends about what's going on. By Bitcoin, stay well. See you next time. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with Har Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Car said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go, do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto, and not Car. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world. One Satoshi at a time.